This podcast is brought to you from our friends at Tincata Protective Fabrics, Emergency Networking, MagnaGrip, and IFSTA. Welcome to another episode of Fire Engineering's Tactical Impact, the show all about tactics. Uh, Today, uh, I'm your co-host, Jim Silvernail. With me today always is uh, Jason Hovelman. Jason, how are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Always looking forward to the conversations, especially when we have such esteemed guests like Arthur. Looking forward to the conversation. That's right. We have Arthur Ashley with us today. Esteemed fire captain from Lexington, Kentucky. We thought it would only be fitting after our last episode that we talked all about engine company operations with Jonah Smith that it would be appropriate to switch back to truck work. So, you know, before we get to Arthur, uh, Jason, I I really think this is one of those topics that we really have to hit hard. And I think today I want to get more into not just only the tactical side of it, but also the attitude and culture of of truckyism, uh, and this is the guy to do it. So, uh, what what do you think? Do you think we do truck work well in our world that we don't have trucks? Not in my world. I mean, it, I I think it's getting better. And I think when people like Arthur and others started writing and presenting and getting out about and that it's not about the apparatus you ride on necessarily, but it's about the work that needs to get done to support and facilitate suppression, search, and those things that are critical factors, uh, if not in some cases, some of the most important factors that are going to happen on the fire ground, and that it's it's more than just forcing doors. There's a mentality. There's an art to what truck companies do and how they do it, and we're starting to see that emergence in places like St. Louis that don't run truck companies independently, but they're assigned by arrival, but those... those uh, those skills, those uh, tasks and jobs are paramount to this overall success of the fire ground. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with that. Um, you know, there's in this world, I know it's hard to believe, but there's more to putting the wet stuff on the red stuff. There's actually a strategy involved in what we do. And it's it's like a, a, a well-written play in football or an orchestra, as we've stated before. But there's a lot of functions that have to go together for a well-coordinated fire attack. And you can't have a coordinated fire attack without truck company operations. Um, a lot of times though, in our world where there's no trucks, you know, that can that has to happen in a game plan, it has to happen in an attitude, but a lot of times that lacks unless it's been pointed out or really emphasized. So uh, let's get this guy on board here. What do you say? What's going on in Arthur's world? Uh, lots of traveling coming up this week. Uh, uh, Houston this week. We've got uh, the week after that, uh, we're going to Boston and uh, turning around and making a turn out right after that to St. Augustine, Florida. And then uh, more stuff after that. So, uh, and then work, of course. Uh, <clears throat> stuff, I mean, I'm, you know, been working on some articles that I've been wanting to do for quite some time to tweak those and things. And then, you know, I've got work. I've got a, a probie on the truck that we're trying to get trained. And, and um, I'm roughly uh, 
about two months now out of the academy. And so that's, you know, that gets all of our uh, attention. Other than that, life's good. So for, for those that don't know you, kind of tell everybody about your day job. What do you do for a living, Arthur? So I am the captain in Lexington. I'd be assigned to a ladder company, and I am on ladder six. And so uh, I have been with Lexington uh, 29 and a half years. I am, uh, I've been, I started uh, on a ladder and ladder now as an officer. I went through, you know, worked with engine companies, business engine for quite a while, um, special ops, and then, then back into the truck company. And uh, aside from that, I teach around the states, around the country. Uh, you know, my big thing is, is uh, I always talk close to home in my department, everything. And, and, to learn from stuff and pass on stuff. When you start not just talking it, but doing it, and it becomes a habit, routine, and the way you respond to stuff, and throw in your street smart skills and tips and tricks and all that stuff to make things work, and then you learn how this works and how that works, and how to read this and how to read that, and, and how to take a task and get it done, or Realize that, hey, we can't do this. We've done all we can. And just you know, through, you know, I've been in the fire service altogether about 36 years now, on 37. And so it has been a, uh, I won't say roller coaster. Uh, I, I will say that in the beginning, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Just, but uh, I was very fortunate to live in the same community that I grew up in, the rural area. And it is rural, uh, water first, you know, all that kind of stuff, ladder truck, that. So it's, it's really, you know, big city things change. You know, it's um, the American Fire Service. We talk about truck work. We've talked about that a while ago, and just something going there about that is, is there's this big push. Of, there's this big push for the mission, and I'm 1,000% behind it. I've been behind that. I have preached that from the rooftops, the mountaintops. I have preached that my administration, the guys I work with and everything, and, you know, sometimes you get backlash, pushback, and all that stuff. But, you know, um, it's one of those things where our service is still, you know, playing catch-up with that. And what I say about that is, is um you're in a big city, uh, most of the time your truck work uh, speaks for itself and great truck work in Lexington. And the trucks don't do those work, anything like that. The engine guys, engine work. And that's marvelous. Well, seen, you've got 30 to 40 people, too many people. So I, I consider blessed. But I also tell people that, you know, if you're three or less, you're four staff. You're four or more. You're four. And the majority of the country is staffed. And I've watched a lot of videos, and I do not try to armchair quarterback a lot of stuff. Um, we do it at the firehouse. I learn from it, but I see so many people standing back and not taking the opportunity to make a search, to make a vent inner search, to get into the structure. We're worried about getting lines laid out front, getting lines pulled and stuff, but we're not seeing the big picture of, you know, is that survival of space? Taking the opportunity. Uh, are you taking the time? Because if you don't take the opportunity, you lose the time. If you waste time, you lose the opportunity. I, I preach that over and over. I know Jim's probably heard me say that. But <clears throat> we have to get better 
if we want to truly efficient. Um, nobody wants to lose property because, you know, we're the fire department, we're supposed to put it out. We can't stop every fire. But we can push ourselves to try to make sure that every structure is searched. It's not, it's not clear, we say it's clear. And then there's a lot of people who are in smaller apartments all the way up to bigger apartments. I have been to some places in my travels that there are major departments that the primary left where the fire's not. I couldn't believe it. And so um, I won't say who they are. Um, that's, that's, that's their battle. Um, but I think a lot of stuff that, that hurts the fire service is the unknown. Um, if you live in small town USA, if you live in volunteer USA, if you live somewhere where you've got great trucks, you don't have the, the experience because you don't make runs and you've got great equipment, apparatus and everything like that. And, and don't get the confidence that has to be a trucky, the confidence to push yourself inside of structure and actually do a search and stuff. And I think there there is there's a lack of tension with every state, all fifty states. In the states I've been to, there are still states that teach crawling and the choo choo train method where you're got your hand on the guy's ankle in front of you. You're not splitting off, you're not communicating, you're not doing a fast methodical search. And people are not getting found. So you know, after the first six minutes, the chance of survivability is less than 50%. And so you have to be quick. You can't, you can't speed up anything, you know, getting to the scene. You can't speed up anything like that. You can speed up things by, you know, getting inside the structure. Don't go into a known looking at it, you know, but everything we do is an unknown. The only time it's not an unknown is we're doing a bidding or search. We know where we're going into. We know the area we're going into. And we don't know if it's a survival area until after the fire. We don't know if it's survival until after the fire. So we have to read the building. Um, I know it's a little bit long, but that's that's one of the things that bothers me is I see a lot of firefighters in thousands upon thousands of dollars with gear and equipment and everything standing around watching a place burn, but we're not conducting a search. Even in obvious places that you could get in to do a search and places that are closer to the fire, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know if it's <clears throat> lack of training. I don't know if it's people who are scared to do the job. I don't know people who are afraid to put themselves in that, that position or they don't know what to do or they're afraid to do something because the chief said this or whatever. I, I think it's a culmination of things and, and it goes beyond because these areas, that's 95% of the fire station. All town is in big cities, medium cities. If you don't live near a big city, you're not going to pick up strategy tactics to do the correct way, or at least somewhat the correct way. So, um, I believe there's a lot of people who could have been saved in fires that weren't saved because of the lack of understanding from the firefighters or the lack of intestinal of fortitude. For the lack of, of just experience. I mean, I, I don't expect these guys where I live to have a ton of experience. They just they go to a lot of fires. But it's, you know, I'm not a volunteer anymore. Like, there was only a few of us, a handful of who searched because we understood it. Um, but uh, 
it's all about the task. It's all about strategy and tactics. It's all about the job that's given you in route, either given to you based on your running order, or it's either given to you based on your job function. Um, and the worst part about Volunteer America is we don't know who's going to show up. We don't know if our stars are going to show up or guys that are coming off the end of the bench who don't need to be going inside of a structure. So uh, that's a little bit how I feel about it. I hope it opens it up a little bit because there's a lot of stuff about it. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com. Well, I think, I think you brought up a very good point about complacency. You know, we, we go to so many fires where there's nobody trapped, and the, and the majority of the time that we do go to places where people are trapped, you get that call over the radio that tells you, hey, a possible victim trapped in a, in a structure. And then this complacency builds. Uh, yeah, you, I'm task oriented. I'm going to put a fire out. You know, how do you overcome this complacency of, hey, you know, just because there's not a report of somebody trapped doesn't mean that the building is clear. You know, how, how do you how do you enforce that in your crews on every call? It has to be taught. It has to be taught. It has to be taught has to be beat into their heads, has to be talked about in every training where they remember that. Uh, it also takes good instant commanders. You know, um, one of the things when I step up and ride district chief is that, you know, I don't micromanage. These companies know what they're doing going in. If I see something that really needs attention or I see something that's not getting attention, I'll say something, put them in a position. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in my area of the city that I'm surrounded by good ladder companies that are coming second duty, uh, and I'm going second duty to them. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, we teach this thing of get in there, find people, you know, the, the search patterns and this and that. We've got to find people. But I think that's as far as it goes because uh, there's not a lot of people who – like to get out there and really just start to the structure and learn how to root through it quickly and this and that. The complacency comes from, from what do we do? We find a victim, we drag it out. What is it? It's usually something that weighs probably 30 pounds or less and we drag it out and we find a window and we just hand it over. We don't go through the full motion of it. You, know? um, you find your first person that changes you because after that you're always looking for people to out. Um, and then there are people who, who, who turn turn into rock stars at fires because they've paid attention. They've went to a class. They've been inspired by someone who has taught them a class, or they've been inspired by a podcast, a magazine article, a class at FDIC, a class at a regional conference or a field meeting or something like that. And they got in there and they found somebody, you know, and, and, and if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. The fire service is better now in our interaction than it ever has been because of you know, what we're doing right now. Usually back in the day, as a magazine, it would be your state fire school, maybe a local fire school, and if you had enough gumption, you would go beyond the state, which I did. Um, and I went road with people when I was 20, 21, 25 years old, you know, and, and would go to places and learn from other places. But I was always told, you want to better yourself, look at 
aspect. I even tell guys in my department, I did department, but I tell them, go beyond our borders to find stuff because you bring back stuff that we can use. Uh, but now it's almost it's almost crazy because we've got so much information coming in that we don't know what's true, what is what is not true. It's almost like mainstream media. You talk about it. It's kind of like one of those things when it comes to you're watching a guy do a video forcing a door, and you're sitting here going, that's not right. That's not correct. You're, you're not using the You're not using the mechanical advantage. Or you're watching a roof vent. You're watching guys do a search and stuff. But, you know, we, we can't police that because it's freedom of speech. But you've got these people who have no experience. They jump on YouTube. They jump on here. They jump on uh, Firecam video, all that stuff. And they see this. Yeah. And what, what they do is they think that's the way to do it. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. You have to almost bet what you watch, just like you should bet every instructor or person that comes into your district to teach or, or into your conference or whatever. They should be vetted. Uh, there's so much information out there that I think that it's either is that stuff, do people being well? A lot of people watch it from a computer and think they automatically got the information and that now they're a subject matter expert. Uh, I've been a person that says you should put your hands on it, you should do it, you should sweat while you're doing it, all that stuff that goes along with it. You know, Kentucky State Fire School is the oldest fire school in the, in the United States, and its motto is learn by doing. It's not sitting in a classroom, it is actually learn by doing. You put your hands on it, you know, we can show you all the PowerPoints we want about raising ladders, forcing doors, falling through windows, ventilating roofs, but it keeps you better when you put your hands on it. So, this is kind of a commit into the generation thing of it as well. I mean, I see it in my department. I see it with older people who are dinosaurs. I still call them dinosaurs that are carrying on this. You should never go on a roof. It, it's, it's not worth it. It's not it at all. And the apartments are going to go on a roof. But they don't under, because they've been taught. And then they'll teach somebody that. And it's aggressive there. You've got the young people who are coming on who are easily influenced by what we say. They may be, and I'll say this, some are a little lazy because they've never had to do blue-collar work. Some are not lazy. They come straight in, and they're ready to work, uh, but they're very intelligent. And if they want the job, they'll listen to you, and they'll perform for you. And um, I remember that generation changed fire service, and I was really like, oh, I can't believe this kid doesn't know this. This kid doesn't know that. And then I finally just thought, man, you know what? That changed my attitude because it's my job to teach them. It's my job to teach them. I mean, they even learn life skills from them. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, and overall, I think the fire service uh, um, when it comes down I think some fire, the majority of fire departments probably don't get the big picture of what has to be done. And uh, I'm sure we want to put the fire out. Yep. The hose lines, this and that. The guys who need to be, you know, uh, doing stuff is the ones who are getting inside searching for people. It doesn't matter if you're on the engine squad, ladder, 
chief's car or whatever, you get there and the opportunity presents itself, you want to make a rescue. I mean, I, I mean, I know both of you, if you got there first, you got a mom saying there's something in the window, and you look at it and say, if I don't do something right now, you know, this is going to be bad. And, and I, I know you both would do that because I would do the same thing. So um, it's just it's just that we're dealt with. What do you, what's your thoughts on complacency, Jason? What do you, what do you see going on? IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got to do with it's two simple words, comfort and convenience. Um, whenever we look at complacency, it's uh, and, I, and, I, and we all see it and witness it. It boils down to those people that are complacent are trying to make things comfortable and convenient for themselves and not what's best for the community. And, and I think it's just kind of a you know, simplistic view, but I think it's really that simple. And the other thing I wanted to ask Arthur about is as we move forward through this in you know, <clears throat> preparation for your roles on the fire ground, um, there's a global perspective that we all do different drills together and whatnot. And, and it's very common. You see a lot of engine company drills with little lines, with big lines, with corners, with stairs. Arthur, if a company, whether it's a true truck or whether they're going to be asked to do truck work, what kind of, you know, preparation, what kind of things should a company officer and his crew look for to prepare a little bit differently and have a little different frame of mind, uh, knowing that they're going to have to perform those skills and tasks. The first thing is basic firemanship skills. And that's forceful entry, ladders, ventilation, search, just the basics. Because the basics will always, always, always help you out. They'll always rescue you and all that. Build a good foundation from that. and. You have to throw in great attitudes. The person who is teaching it, the person who is pushing it, the person who's commanding it, the person who's leading it, they all have great attitudes because we all know that attitudes are contagious. One person that will screw up the entire group. So the attitudes, the foundation and the attitudes, but beyond that is you have to, if you're if you're a paid guy, you need to put your hands on something every day. And it's like, you know, talk about something for an hour to an hour and a half daily and you put your hands on something for about an hour or two, not to make it so much to where you hate doing it, you hate all this stuff, because you can train too much. So if you're a volunteer and you've got that, you know, you're 52 weeks in a year and you come out, you know, once a month, twice a month or whatever, make it worth your while to learn something. <clears throat> so, and also to make things run easier, <clears throat> you've got to have... <clears throat> got to have writings. It doesn't matter if you're a volunteer. It doesn't matter if you're a combi. It doesn't matter if you're paid. Wherever you're riding on that truck is your position. If you're an engine um, heavy fire department with no trucks, you need to be have the ability while in route to be changed from an engine to a truck via radio. You should be able to change from an engine to a truck on scene based on it, what you see, what's given. And you should be able to know what to do in the position you're setting on the truck. If you're sitting behind me on the engine and it's like, so you're before on an engine, 
Uh, I'm the engine officer behind me. You've got the hydrant on this side. This guy's got the hydrant on that side. Depends on which one it is. This guy's got the nozzle, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we've turned into a truck, okay? So we've got truck stuff. So now we've turned into a truck, and so we've got two guys on that side, two guys this side, and I'm just saying we've got four on the truck. Um, the guy with me, we're the inside team. The guys on the other side, they're the outside team. And that's how things get taken care of. Break it down even further is like, what do you do for strip malls? What do you do for low, medium, and high rise? Low, mid, high rise. What do you do for elevator emergencies? What do you do for vehicle accidents with practice? You know, each person has their stuff they get. What this does is takes the chaos away from you. When those guys start seeing how that works and how that works and how that works, they love it. You travel to my truck, one of the first things that's given to you in the morning when you arrive is a list of stuff where you are sitting on the truck. You have come in from another station. This is what is expected of you, what is you to grab and for who you, what to do. Um, and your and the last questions about it to make sure they're cool with it. If it's a seasoned guy that I know, I don't worry about it. The new guy will ask them this and that, you know, that morning. They become familiar with the truck. There's nothing worse than a person who is, or let's say a crew of three, goes on scene, and it's more fire than they can handle in an apartment. Like their, their water source is probably a thousand feet away. They've got a thousand gallons of water and about people hanging from the windows of the third floor over here on the left hand side. Okay. Well, automatically, we're not going to put this fire out. There's no need to pull a hose line unless we're using it to protect someone. And they need to start grabbing ladders, including the chauffeur of the engine, and start doing truck work. I mean, it's, it's, and I've watched videos where people are saying that there's people inside, but there's no one acting. There has to be a plan, a free plan. Every fire department, I don't care if you are a fire department with two apparatus in it, hell of 500. You should have a plan because minutes matter, decisions matter, tasks matter, basics matter, and all this stuff to get done. Fire burns in New York City just like it does in the smallest town in Kentucky here. People die from it, so it doesn't change the overall thing, but it comes back to foundation, attitudes, have your, your truck in order, meaning it could be engine or truck, have a plan, and have it to where people can see it and train them. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Arthur, I want to go into something that you talk about a lot. And uh, this kind of goes into the coordination of what truck work really does for you in a fire ground. But, you know, we make the point, or you make the point, that there's really three things that always occur in a fire ground, whether you do it well or not. And that is, you know, extinguishment, ventilation, or in search. You know, we've we kind of hit the search a little bit, but I really want to go into, you know, two of these three elements really look like truck company operations. But, you know, that extinguishment part has a lot, a little bit of truck work involved in that. You know, as we stated, it's not just about putting the water on 
the fire. But it's, you know, we, we, we can go back to the, the old adage that nothing on the fire ground saves more lives, protects more property than the properly sized, properly placed, properly timed attack line. When you go into that, it's more than just opening up the bale. So, you know, how important is truck work in getting that line in place? Oh, gosh. Um, it's extremely important. And, and you know, when, when you know, they said that more lives are some properly placed hose line than anything we do, I agree with that. But also, I add my own little punch to that is it has to be in the right hands of the person, aimed in the right what, direction, used the right way, and not waste water. Uh, you get a thousand gallons of water outside, and that's what you need to knock something down or less. You know, what do we use? 50 to 100 gallons per room down starting off, okay? We can, we can start doing that, 50, 100, 150 gallons. But for me to be able to get that engine in their position, there's one way, there's actually, there's two ways of me doing it. To go in and start a search and move as quick as I can to the fire position to start my search for, for uh, those people who need most of the closest to the fire, I start the communication process of the engine, telling them where the fire is, confining the fire, and if I can steal the fire from them with a can, we're going to do it. Uh, but, you know, that the communication part of it is is big there because I am leading them to the fire. Okay. Now, what if I can't make the push in? They can't make the push in because of the conditions. That's where ventilation comes into play. And vertical ventilation is one is a fireman's best friend because... Unless you've been on a search crew, an engine crew, or been a victim, you're not going to know what it really does. Because when it lifts off you and you're able to move forward and you can feel and see the lift, that's when it comes into play. Who is that for more than anybody? Or the victims. Because getting it off the floor, maybe that starting this far off the floor, raising it. Then it's for the engine crew. Okay, They need to put that fire out because we take the problem away. Now the search team can be free. It has to be coordinated with the engine company. Uh, you can't go ahead and just open a hole in the roof before they've ever pulled a hose line. Now, I will say this. If you are a good truck company, you can go ahead and cut the roof. You don't have to open it up yet. You can go ahead and do whatever you need to do. You can be on a pitched roof, do a four-by-eight cut. You've louvered it, but you've not punched it or pulled it yet. Your clean-out guy's just waiting. He's waiting for that engine crew to start doing their thing. And that's because... If we don't coordinate, it makes things horrible because I'm drawing air into the base of that fire as quick as possible because now all that high pressure is coming off, up and out, drawing everything in even faster. So the best part about that is, as well, is, you know, things go wrong, they lose water, anything like that, we can shut the louver and we can control the conditions. But ventilation is a big, big thing. Uh, that has to be done. Uh, and if you've got good truck crews, it, it's worth its weight and go. You mean it's just not that action that happens after the fire puts, you put it out, they remove the smoke? I'm, jo I'm totally joking. I'm trying to get your get you going here. No, I, I you totally, can't get me going, man. No, we, we've talked about this way too much. Yeah. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And you go back to what Arthur said about, you know, being a kind of a beacon for that attack line and that attack team, but also getting into spaces as, as quickly as possible to occupy 
that space. And I want to go back to what Arthur said a little bit earlier about um, waiting for the fire to get knocked down and people party tar- starting primary searches. And there's a few statistics that after I throw them out there, I want Arthur to kind of elaborate on where the truck plays a critical role in these things is uh, Brian Brush in this firefighter survey, firefighter rescue survey, the first 3000 rescues. And it's got some interesting things that, that validate everything that's being talked about today by Arthur and, and, and the importance and critical nature of truck work as it relates to speed and working in parallel concert with the, the attack is that 67% survival rate when a search is initiated before or during knockdown, pre-knockdown. And it goes down by 20% when it's after knockdown. Those are significant numbers. And then you look at what we've been telling them in public relations about where we want them to go and what we want them to do. Compartmentalize yourself and close the door. And 82% survival rate when they're behind a closed door, which goes back to Arthur's point about access and entry. And then the last one that that I'll mention is <clears throat> we can't we can't judge with our on our own uh, based on conditions we find upon arrival of survival rates. You know, there's a there's a 34 there's a 50 percent chance of survival for victims when the fires made it into the structure or 62 percent when it's multiple rooms. And I think that's the important part about truck work that that really is validated by what you all do and what those truck functions perform, Arthur. You know, I, I tell guys that that to sometimes stop look. You know, I don't always go in where the hose line goes. Sometimes, and I always tell guys stop staring at the structure. Sometimes the only thing separating you and a person that needs you is a pane of glass. Is a pane of glass. That's the only thing you have to understand that that is a quick in and quick out. And um, there are departments, chiefs. I've even talked to chiefs when I was teaching and stuff uh, that would say, "Well, it's the most dangerous search that you can do." I mean, it's crazy. You're going in there. You're 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 messing up the flow path and this and that. But it's the safest form of search. You know, it's the thinner search is the safest form of search. And you know, if you're not going through the door, you, know, you need to be going through the window. If you're not going through the front door, go through the back door, go through the side door, make a hole, get inside. Uh, if you can't get to the apartment because of a fire in the front of it, go into the apartment next to it and breach a wall to get in if you think someone's in there. By all means, try something. I mean, you can't just say, well, we can't do it. You have this form of breathing respiration. Uh, respiratory protection. You have the highest form of structural protection. You have given been given tools, and you begin training on how to use those tools. And so the rest is up to you. If you don't have the guts to do it, probably should find something else to do. Um, I am not above breaching a wall to get to somebody. It's taking drywall and knocking a two by four out of the way to get into another room to somebody. Um, can't just say we can't get in there. Pull up the places fully involved. And you see a window. There's no smoke coming around it, and the window blinds are not even melted. You can still see them. The door's closed in that room. There could be somebody down in that room. There could be somebody hiding in that room. Wait a minute. The lady, the guy who was on the truck, got in, and there's a lady. She was sucking air on the floor, been in there. I mean, this was a fire where two people were saved. And it was all the guys who came off. They, 
I'm going to brag on my guys, okay? They got their crap together. And the day, the engine chauffeur of the first new engine saved the guy off the balcony. You know why? He charged the line and then he took a ladder to the rear and rescued the guy. He doesn't have to stay at the pump panel. Driving behind me, did air search. He's traveled in that morning. He's covering. He puts the ladder up. I'm down below putting my mask on. Up. He takes the window. He gets to go in. He looks. He goes, I got a victim. I go, well, get him. You know, so it's 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 one of those things where when he brings her down, he says, what do you want me to do? Take her to EMS. Are you going to come with me? No. I've got to finish, finish searching that room. Up the ladder I go. You can't stop because you find one. I've seen that before, and that that can turn that has turned bad before. You find one victim, you think you're done, high five, and all that stuff, but you're not thinking about completing the rest of the structure. But yeah, I, it's just um, there's so many things that just we could talk about with this that goes into you know, the hour we have and stuff. But I, I, what I think comes down to is this: you got to have the will and the want to be a firefighter. You got to have the will and the want to say why. You got to have the will and the want to open your mind to training and training that is going to help you. It's not a waste of time. You got to spend time with it. You want to do this and be successful at it. You have to be a fire geek like the rest of us. And and, and the guys who are successful, the guys who work from FDNY to Los Angeles to in between that are making a difference in the fire service. To the, on their companies, teaching, all this and that, writing books, all this stuff are doing their part. And they're they're giving to the fire service. Everybody should be doing that to some degree. Don't be complacent because you don't have the kind of fires in your community because one day you will will be tested. I agreed. Um, I, I like one of the points you okay. make. And that is, you know, I taught at the fire academy for about 12 years. I know Jason did too. And I know you spent a lot of time, not only at the fire academy, but other fire, you know, uh, different training grounds. One of the things that you, you have to do as a training instructor is go past that book. You know, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to say which book we use. I think everybody, there's only a couple of books you can use in rookie school, but those, those are not real searches. <laughs> do you agree? I mean, those aren't how we do it. And if you do it like that, get on the floor, do a right-handed search, grab the person in front of you. You're not going to make any grabs or saves doing that. I mean, uh, what's your feeling? I mean, how do you take it further? Uh, you know, that's the part where I don't know how to take it further because I, if I did know and I truly knew, I would do it. I scream about it at work all the time and, and about places I go to that, and I won't say the names of these manuals or these books, but if, if, if you're in the fire service, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you can't teach search like that and expect successful. Um, the reason I think that they, they teach it like that is because it's always been done that way. It is a, it is a, it is a tried and true way of, of crawling through a structure that they've done ever since people put in the structures. And they think that it's easy to do. It's actually harder to do crawling under hands and knees. It's actually harder to do holding on to someone else. It's actually harder to do than to hold on to a hand line and try to be a certain. People think you can do that. No, you have to break apart. You have to realize that you, I can, I can take you two guys and we can go in a large room. If I can hear you, if I can keep up with you, your communication with voice, vision, or touch, 
not counting the radio, we can do a super fast, super fast uh, search. We do a, uh, a, a, a search all the time where I am in the middle and guys branch off. They go one direction, hit a bedroom. Another one goes another direction, hit a, hit a bedroom. I've got a tick. I'm talking to them, looking, all this and that. They come back to me, we move on. You know, that's kind of like a poor search for us. Guy gets tired, says, Cap, I'm tired. I'll give him a tick. I'll start doing the search. Depends on how big the structure is. That structure is not done, is not completed on, on the search, is not completed until we until we either run it, our vibrant look goes off, have to turn around, we've got to tell somebody where we left off, and or we, you know, structure. I don't know what the bread and butter, it used to be a bread and butter uh, structure for a, a city would be like a, a thousand foot, 15 square, 100 square foot ranch. Well, that's great for an engine because you can pull the first 50 foot section to the front door and go in, and you can cover everywhere in that house just about. When it comes to truck work, it is so different because there are guys who teach it to be aggressive. And that's the thing. I think these books do not teach you, or I think they're afraid to say be aggressive. I think they're afraid to put it into words to, to you have to push yourself beyond this point to find people because I think it becomes built in this I don't know, but if I knew how to change it, I would definitely do it because I would start writing letters left and right because our search culture has to be aggressive. Our truck guys, gals, need to be aggressive. Anytime a task is done on the truck level, it has to be with confidence, know-how, and it's got to be task-driven. Uh, You've got to have the confidence to back everything, all this up. You've got to know what to do. You've got to know what to do. And I think um, it's easy to reprint the magazine, the, excuse me, the manuals, and not change anything because I don't think anybody's ever said, hey, we need to look at this. No. What does NFBA say? I mean, what does this say? What does that say? What does this department say? I can guarantee you the New York City Fire Department does not teach from one of these manuals. I can guarantee you that the Los Angeles City Fire Department does not teach search from these manuals. I know my department doesn't teach for the manuals when it comes to search. It, it, it's, it's almost, but, but the thing about it is, who's getting these manuals? These guys who don't make all these runs all the time. If you're in a department that goes to calls and does a search all the time and does truck work all the time, well, that's, you're getting street knowledge. That's street credit and street smart skills. But if you're out here in small town USA and all you have is these manuals and they're teaching you from those manuals, and the state is teaching those manuals, shame on them because that's all they know. I can't get mad at them. Every state, all 50 states need to get together. And, well, they don't need to get together. They need to look at their curriculum and say, how many people did we lose in the past 10 years when it comes to searching? What's our search like? What is, our, what is this like? I think the problem is, you know, the state curriculum, the, the state, the state curriculums are all built off those books. You know, you can start by teaching the book the first day, but you got to take a day two and go in a real world search. You know, you got to go into a search culture and, and take it further. And that's the problem is we stop. You know, you can't just go off the, the book and stop with the curriculum. You have to add to it. And I think that and that's where we, that's where the failure occurs. But not every not every entity has that ability, you know, or, or the knowledge. Um, to do that. But I, I like the, what you said about aggressive. 
You know, everybody knows that if you want somebody to come to your class, you put aggressive on it. Not only does it draw people in, but it also gets you to the top of the list of all the classes or a number. We all know that. But aggressive, I, I, I just think, you know, some people are like, oh, that's a bad word. That's not a bad word. I mean, it's a great word. The problem is not you have to be aggressive. Not in our line yeah. of work. Not an airline of work. It's not. It is a word that is needed in our line of work. It is much needed in our line of work. I can speak for. Uh, I will not say the state, uh, but it's pretty much like this in every place I've ever been to. Um, you'll have a state curriculum. State curriculum is taught. Uh, the state curriculum is taught by state instructors. These state instructors will have a minimum of so many hours and instruction hours and, and instructor hours to teach. However. The majority, and I can't say majority, I won't say majority. I will say there are people out there who are teaching, instructing, that don't need to be instructed because they are, and I've witnessed it myself, I've actually got up out of a class in my own state and walked out of it because it was, I was not going to disrespect the instructor, not going to say anything in the class. I was there to get hours and just to see what was going on. Uh, a friend asked me to come by. I ended up walking out for the simple fact is I cannot sit there and let the negative, not negative, but the wrong information being taught. I mean, completely wrong information, completely wrong. I said, I can't sit here. It's not my class. That's right. Curriculum. And I think the problem you get is, is when you put the name instructor on somebody, somebody automatically thinks they know everything. And the very first thing that they need to understand is you don't know everything. You know what you know. You can't teach what you don't know. You can only teach what you truly know. And so would it behoove me to put a guy doing search uh, or doing high-rise who's never done high-rise work? Probably not. Uh, or a guy who's never uh, uh, done roof work or anything like that. That, I mean, the four-by-four four hole in ventilation, that, that's gone. Those days are gone. That's an old manual thing from back in the 80s and 70s. That's gone. But it's still taught, and it's still what they teach, and it kills my soul to watch people get on the roof and go, well, it's a good enough hole. No, it's not. It's not. Your guys are afraid right now on the roof, you know, because, you know, and then there, it goes into a culmination of things. And I, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I think a lot of things is, is that as long as there's no harm, there's no foul in these states. These guys aren't getting the right training. Because no one's ever truly complained, and if they do, what's the backlash? You know, you know, it's it depends on what the politics are. I mean, even at our level as instructors, we have to watch what we say because you know it's it's it, it could kill you. And, and, and but I've always been one to speak my mind. Um, I'm never going to let an SOP policy guideline or anything stop me from saving a life. I've even said that to a chief after rescue and couldn't believe I was actually having that conversation. So you have to have, you have to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive and it's not taught, it's not taught. So I agree with you that aggressiveness has to happen, but I will tell you that I think aggressiveness has to come in, has to come in phases. And just because you go to a class, you know, you go to one class, you say, I'm an aggressive firefighter. I think aggressiveness comes in phases because you have to be aggressive going to training. You have to be aggressive staying in shape and you have to be aggressive mentally prepared. And then you can be aggressive on the fire ground. You can't just go watch 
Chicago Fire and say, I put the fire gear on, I'm going to go be aggressive and I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and I think that's where the problem comes. And I was asked a question once, can you be aggressive and can you be safe at the same time? Absolutely. If you know your job and you're ready for your job, absolutely 100%. Thoughts, Jason? Yeah, 100%. I think there's a lot of uh, value to the idea of aggressive is more than just a mindset. It's a way. It's how you train and the things that you talk about when you train, like taking and occupying searchable space while an engine company is going to the fire or sometimes when it's not because it's a targeted search and there's a high likelihood of victims and understanding why we do those things and why expediency is critically important. The statistics all show, you know, we're telling our public, you've only got three to five minutes to exit your building. And then we're taking three to five minutes after we get there to get inside of it. And so it's, it's beyond the mindset and it's got to be part of the culture and part of that culture isn't just pounding our chest and wearing t-shirts. It's about putting our hands on tools every single day. It's about when uh, there's a discussion, like Arthur says, you know, saying, hey, no, that's not right. And we need to change it. It's when we're inside the structure as a search company or even just moving around and ensuring our heads are up and that we're moving with, with urgency and purpose. It's making sure that we are facilitating the engine company and the suppression whenever we're working with them or they need it or softening the building or getting good, accurate roof reports or understanding where the fire is going to go based on conditions and experience. And that's all the big picture of aggressiveness. Just like when we cross the threshold of, of, a, of a building that's on fire and that aggressive mindset comes in, when we cross the threshold of the engine house on when we come to duty or, or our volley meeting night, it's got to be an aggressive posture that we're going to absorb and do as much as we can to be practitioners and not just practiced firefighters. I can be aggressive and safe and do my job because um, there are times that you have to be truly aggressive and you are doing it because you're safe because nobody wants to die. Uh, But you also, in this line of work, when you do it long enough, you're going to do some sketchy shit. I saw that online the other day. I said, that's true. That is so true. You're going to do some sketchy stuff that you're like, you know, I, we've had conversations of how the heck did we make it out of that? How the heck did we not get hurt? How the heck did we not get trapped? Or I thought we were tra- just, there, just a lot of things. And people are saying, why would you put yourself in that situation? Because it is my job to go and find people. It is my job to get inside to help the engine. It's my job to get inside to save big my job to be a culmination of things because going into the job, I was taught to be confident and be aggressive. Plain and simple. Know your job. So, yeah, I think we're at a point where we can talk about where does, where does good truck work start? And I think it starts with attitude and culture. Those departments that do not embrace truck work are those that are going to have a lot of failure in my belief or don't have that coordination and this might be a good point to end on or might be and it's a challenge for sure but how do you get that attitude in that culture in these departments especially those that don't have dedicated truck companies uh you know within their stations you should say that i mean just ask that because um 
going to Houston this coming week. We're going to actually, we're doing a truck academy for this department. And this chief was at another department that we came in and we've done three different classes uh, <clears throat> to build their truck culture. And myself and a, fire, a Dallas firefighter, uh, uh, Kevin Lewis, went in and for three to four days each time, uh, we talked the culture, we talked the strategy and tactics, and we talked the basics uh, of truck work. Not only just teaching as an instructor, but it's also my job to build your fire and inspire you to want to do it. That department absolutely positively, after we left, embraced the truck culture as a truck, a dedicated truck on duty for truck work only. Guys were just clawing to get to it, and guess what? They're aggressive, they're confident, and they have a truck culture. You have to want to build the truck have to first understand what it is, how it helps your operation, and then you build it. You build it just like you're building a house. And you have good carpenters build your house. That means you have good instructors come in. Uh, you can either use you can use instructors in your own department if they have the experience and stuff, but have people come in that will inspire them to be better at their job. Um, Go to classes that are close by that people who are will inspire you to do this because it's hard to go somewhere and come back and you've got 100 guys in your department, four of you went to a class and come back and try to get everybody involved. It's best that when a person comes and they can actually be a part of your department for three or four days and you've got 30 guys who've signed up for this class of truck work and they want to learn all about it. After the first four hours in the classroom, because we only spent four hours in the classroom with them, the first four hours they were so fired up over it because we told them why it's so important and what is expected, and that it is aggressive and that it is a culture in its own. They they wanted that. That is not the only fire department we went to, and we've done that. Um, you know, I, I have talked with some great people. I've talked with some icons. And I always walk away learning from them, but I can also say that 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 not every person that I've talked with has the ability to have that fire building of your soul type thing. They'll go teach, and that's it, and they'll leave. No, you have to become part of these guys. You have to read these guys. You have to let these guys get comfortable with you. At the same time, they respect you. Say, never lie to them. Never tell far-fetched stories. Never embellish. Never do anything like that. Never tell them something that you would never do. Be honest with them, and guess what? They'll follow you anywhere, just like for in, in, in the department. You are a good instructor. They will have you back. They will want you, and they will want you. I've got people. Listen, I've got people call me to this day that I taught many years ago, and it's my opinion. I'm always honest with them because I don't know. I'll reach out to somebody I know um, because I think it's that's, that's how we're supposed to be. But there are a lot of instructors out there, out there that just kind of make up stuff because they think, oh, I'm an instructor, I'm a lieutenant, I'm a captain, I'm a chief in my department or whatever, uh, that I automatically am supposed to know this stuff. That's not true. Um, there's nothing worse than seeing an administrative person teaching a tactics class that has never sat in a tactics class before. That has 
that has probably never sent a class in probably the past 10 years. That is a disservice and a waste of time. Uh, if you've got to bring people in or you've got to go somewhere to get the passion built, by all means do it. You have to build, you have to understand what truck work is to build your foundation. I, th I think there's no denying that uh, truck work is essential, it's necessary, and it has to happen at every fire. We, we've said that. Um, you know, it's just a matter of how you do it and the right attitudes and training that you put forth toward it. And I believe that really starts at the top of any organization. Um, you will not, Jim, you know, you just, you just, a department will not succeed if they are not led from the front by who's on top. If you have a chief who uh, is self-serving uh, or does not, you know, keep up with the times of, of way things are or keeps his thumb on these guys and kills the morale and, and just takes away everything and stuff like that, it's hard to build any culture. But if you have a chief who is open-minded and understands what the true mission is and what the citizens deserve and will back his men on their training and get the right equipment, get the right training. And, and not only that, but gets in there and does it as well. My fire chief, I have to commend him on this. I've been to several working fires, and he has tagged in on my truck and said, I am borrowing an air pack off your truck. This is after he's, and this is the main fire chief. He doesn't have to do this. He shows up and does it on his own. He's in there on two and a half inch lines of commercial fires. He's on inch and three quarter lines, pulling ceilings, all this and that. I have always said that every person on the fire department from the new guy to the fire chief to be able to do everything. And the reason I say that is, is I always tell guys this one thing. You're at your biggest fire in your little town's history. All hands working, mutual aid everywhere. Chief out front sees a person on the fourth floor. Oh my gosh, on the radio. I need a, red, a, a, a 35 to, over here to the front to the alpha side. Nobody answers or everybody's too busy. Look over in the back of the ladder tunnel. You see a 35 foot ladder. Well, guess what? The chief can do it himself if he has to. Go over, pull it out on the ground and let it slam. Don't have to carry it, drag it where it needs to go, raise it. You know a 35 will get to the fourth floor. One easy way to remember, three and five, what's the number comes from 24. So a 35 will get to the fourth floor. Raise the 35, affect the rescue, come down and continue commanding the same. Why not? Nobody says you can't drag a ladder. If you, I hate, I cannot stand chiefs that say, don't drag those ladders, don't drag those ladders. We've been places like that. Scott Thompson posted something on Facebook, best thing I ever saw. Ladder parts, ladders damaged, all this and that because his guys were training with them. They're going to break, and it's the small things that break. Tips, butts, pulleys, halyards, little things like that, paws. You want it to break in training because you don't want it to break in the fire scene, just like you want your saws to start. It's a fire service ladder. You don't have to be pretty dragging it across the ground from point A to point B. Just get it up and affect the rest of you. Outstanding. Jason, any final words of advice here today? No, it, it's funny you talk about dragging ladders. I teach that all the time. And I've gotten some sideways looks at that. And it's like, you're not going to hurt these ladders. I mean, they're over time, you're going to make some small repairs, but on the fire scene, you're not going to hurt that ladder. Drag two of them, get them there and just have them, have them ready to go. But great talk and 
you know, probably something we can expand on in a further conversation and just critically important that the truck work gets done. Uh, are there any this, concluding thoughts? If Keith is watching or a training officer or anything like that, learn what truck work is, learn why it's important, and build your foundation. If it's a firefighter or a company officer, same thing, but be aggressive and look for points to get to people and make yourself better every day and tell yourself that every time you're a volunteer who's responding to that pager or you're that that, that combi guy or that, that uh, paint guy who's, who's getting on the truck in the station, that you're going to go to a fire and you're going to find somebody and you're going to be aggressive. You're going to look for ways in. You're going to push yourself and you're going to make grabs. If you do, guess what? Be humble about it. Be great. You know what you save somebody's life. All right. Uh, before we conclude, I just want to remind everybody, please uh, do turn it. If you've got any thoughts on the fire service, especially tactics, write an article, send it to Fire Engineering Magazine. If you've got an idea for a class, when it comes open, submit for our FDIC. Uh, we're looking for the next greatest thing in tactics and strategies. Uh, we want to hear about what, how you do it and what's going on in your world. So please make sure you do that. But uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to talk to Arthur Ashley uh, this episode, and uh, thanks for coming, Arthur. So on uh, behalf of myself, Jason, uh, it's been another great episode of Tactical Impact. Thank you. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced Technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics.